What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and I am the host. Actually, one of the hosts. There's going to be other hosts, but today I am doing the very first episode of Live Life Free broadcast on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Um, Live Life Free. And uh, <laughs> wow. I, just saying those words, and it, it can mean so many things to so many different people. I mean, what is freedom to you? Like, what does freedom mean to you? I mean, how many people are prisoners and they don't even know it? But <laughs> it's an interesting way to start. <laughs> you know, I've, part of what we're going to do with this broadcast um, is to shine a light on the global human trafficking trade. Um, not just spotlight the epidemic, but elevate the people that are in the trenches fighting to go free trafficking victims. People that are actually going in on rescue missions, putting their life at risk. Um, I'm blessed to know a few of them. And I just wanna say to you guys, um, I love you. And it's inspiring what you do. I remember the very first time I ever heard of anyone doing this uh, was in San Diego and one of the men I'm speaking about now, I was hearing them speak about some of the rescue missions and they can't share a lot of details, but I just felt this burning in me. This was three years ago. I felt this burning inside of me that I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to go and do my own rescue missions and I don't think I was taken serious um, and maybe it's not the safest thing in the world for me to do. but. For me, it's hard to sit and do nothing. Um, the other thing that this, this show is going to be about, um, other than highlighting people that are going in and rescuing victims, um, also want to put a spotlight and create a safe place for former trafficking victims that are on their way to recovery or have recovered uh, to help share their stories too. But more importantly, any organization or individual that comes on this this platform, uh, this broadcast, uh, you know, we want to be able to elevate them in such a way that they would be able to get the resources that they need. Um, because let's face it, and, and I just, this is, before I go too far into a tangent here, um, if this is the this is the case for m most nonprofits. If we don't collaborate, we're not going to survive. Unless if you're one of those organizations that has a multi-million dollar marketing budget, and most of us don't, um, it's going to take collaboration. It's going to take putting ego aside. It's going to take sharing information, and it's going to take a true heart, uh, sincere heart, of wanting to. To, to, to complete this mission, because it won't be done without it. It takes too many people. And one of the things that we're gonna go into today is I watched a documentary and I, I'm embarrassed that I forgot the name of it, but it highlights uh, Moldova. Um, it goes into Thailand, Amsterdam, Cambodia, Las Vegas, uh, the, Sweden, all of these different countries and it talks about how different the epidemic is there because there's so many forms of human trafficking. I mean, obviously there's the, you hear about uh, slave labor making Nike shoes. Well, that's a thing. 
Um, that's absolutely a thing. They still have those types of slaves. And that's an epidemic. But there's nothing, nothing more extreme than the sell of sex slaves. That's boys, girls. Um, even though I think women get most of the attention when it comes to um, being trafficked. But guys get trafficked too. And, uh, and how it happens, it, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all cookie. So I want to back up because I, I think it's fair um, for me to share my experience with human trafficking before we go too far um, or we get into the, the meat of this episode and shining the light. Look, I, um, I host a show called Gratitude Unfiltered, and I am known for putting a spotlight on my own shadow world. Um, I try not to rat anybody out uh, and expose what they've done, but I do, I will expose myself uh, in the things that I've done. And uh, so that won't be much different here, even though the purpose of the show is more journalistic in nature. I, it is important um, just to put my cards on the table so you know where I'm coming from and why I'm passionate about this. So other than growing up, and I grew up in an upper middle class home. I had every luxury you can imagine. Um, but that didn't keep trauma and tragedies from striking. It didn't keep uh, you know, sexual abuse and physical abuse from happening. And in my stories out there, you can Google it. I don't need to go into it now. But I will tell you that because I didn't have a voice or I didn't believe I had a voice or I was scared to use my voice because of the consequences that were uh, said to me that would happen. And I, I didn't say anything. So I became a, uh, with, there's a lot of different series of events, but one of the things that I became an addicted to in a way that I like to escape my reality was becoming a chemsex addict. And uh, which is basically, you know, people talk about drug addiction and sex addiction, but <laughs> very few put it together. And for me, it was very much together. I didn't just go out and do drugs because if I did drugs, I found did anything possible to have sex. Um, if I had sex, I, I craved drugs. And um, a lot of that had to do with um, conditioning. Um, you know, I, I kind of conditioned myself. I, I read all of these, these books about mind control and and how programming works and you hear about whether you believe in this or not illuminati mind control cia mind control um and i absolutely believe in it <laughs> i absolutely believe in it and i'm currently reading a book about illuminati mind control and it talks about the process of how people are groomed and trained and conditioned um, and how they're able to break these girls down break these little kids down and, 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 and to make them do what they want to do. They're under their control. I swear to you, I did it to myself. Like, I, as crazy as that may sound, I did it to myself. Um, step by step, what these, these controllers and handlers do, <laughs> I was doing to myself, which is hard to comprehend. But... I did. I also developed disassociative identity disorder, which is very, very common for people that are sexually and physically abused. So with all that said, um, 
not only have I been a John, which is was the word used for people that hire escorts or prostitutes or massage girls. Um, I had quite the, uh, I guess that would be an addiction. I pretty much was doing this three to four days a week, um, often and, uh, doing drugs, sleeping with hookers, um, becoming friends with them, going to their house, meeting their kids. It a strange phenomenon. But the other thing too, um, is that I trafficked myself, if you will, uh, prostituted myself. Uh, I was that broken, that lost, that hurt. Um, and, and frankly, I, I, I was going to do anything to scratch the itch of pleasing this demon inside of me. And, and if that wanted drugs, I was going to do anything to get those drugs, including sleep with strange men, transsexuals. I never got paid to have sex from a woman, but um, I paid them to have sex with me. And it's interesting too, because I, half the time that I paid these women for sex, I paid them so I had a safe place to talk about these other things that were going on with me. So I got to know some escorts and massage girls on a really, I mean, more than first name basis. Like I said, I became friends with a lot of them and got to know them and I felt safe with them. But my logic was, I remember, God, I was a kid. I was watching Oprah and had this guy on there talking about his sex addiction. I'll never forget it. I mean, I'm like 12, 13 years old. Talking about his sex addiction and how he loved his wife but he would go cheat with hookers because he felt safe and he felt normal with them. And I remember then thinking, when I have money, I'm gonna sleep with hookers because I wanna feel safe. Like how, <laughs> it's interesting because now I look at that and I'm like, how? Like, how did I get to that point? I mean, I know the answer. But it's like, why didn't I stop before it got worse? And the thing is, like I was so lost and comfortable in the way that I was dealing with my pain, I was blinded by the pleasure of sex and the pleasure of drugs and, and it didn't matter. Like that's all I cared about was making myself feel better so I didn't hurt anymore um, and or it even got to the point that I wanted to make these demons shut up. So, at least from my standpoint, um, there's no judgment towards Johns. If you're a John now or were a John, uh, there's no judgment towards you. I'm actually would be very interested in interviewing some of you guys. Um, not to glorify by any means, but you know, like Johns in recovery. But there's also no judgment for sex workers, the women that choose to be in this life, because some do choose, and we'll get into that. And there's also obviously no judgment for anyone that was unwillingly trafficked. And without sharing too much, uh, which I have a tendency to do, but in this case, it doesn't necessarily, it's not directly related to me, um, only by blood. But I, you know, have someone very, very close to me that has been trafficked. 
and is stuck in a very, very bad situation right now. And it rips my heart out. I, um, I went to jail once for, I mean, I've been to jail six times, but one of the times I got arrested, I was married, had twins on the way, and I got arrested uh, seeking a prostitute. Thought it was, thought it was a normal, or I thought, I'm sorry, I thought it was a prostitute. Um, didn't think it was a massage girl. I actually thought she was, because that was the lie I told. It was like, well, I thought I was getting massage. Of course, I then again, I've told so many lies around that situation to try to hide my other addictions that I don't even really remember all the lies I told. But the truth was that I thought I was an escort. I was looking on Craigslist and uh, this is back when Craigslist had sex ads. And uh, I'll never forget, I remember looking at the picture going, this is too good to be true. My hormones had another another answer for that. Um, maybe you're going to get lucky. I remember even calling the number. It was a 214 number, which was Texas. So I called the number, picked up voicemail, picked up on the first ring. Hey, guys, this is such and such. Forgot the name. Uh, on my way from Dallas right now, if you're looking for in-call, you know, leave a message and, you know, I'll call you right back or some something like that. And I was like, oh, well, this is real. And uh, it wasn't. Got there and, you know, and, and, and junkies and addicts like our, we like our rituals, at least most of them that I know. I especially love my rituals. I love my ritual now, and I'm not, I don't do any of this stuff anymore, but I have a ritual every morning. It's my quiet time. It's the thing that I don't miss no matter how bad I feel. This is what I do when I wake up. But when I have did drugs, I had a ritual. When I was going to plot uh, one of my sex fest, I had a ritual. When I was seeking escorts, I had a ritual. And, uh, and when the ritual didn't happen, I got real uncomfortable. It was like how I made myself feel safe, going to very unsafe places. So I'm sitting there, and she says, she's sitting on the bed. She goes, um, put the money on the nightstand and get undressed. I was like, okay, which seemed different, but I... Again, I'm staring at her going, I'm going to get some of that. She goes, okay, well, I'm gonna, she goes, get undressed, and I'm, I'm going to go put on something more comfortable. It's like, well, can't you do that in front of me? I'm shy. Okay. She goes to the bathroom. A few seconds later. I wonder who that is, she said. As soon as she opened the door, six guys with guns pointed right at me. Well, not double barrel, but a hand. Those of you listening on the podcast, he's using my hands. Guns drawn. And uh, needless to say, I was arrested. It was one of the most embarrassing things of my life. But it wasn't even so much that. But I got arrested, got bailed out. My dad was not real happy, obviously embarrassed. Um, and then that arrest, there was a, a group called John TV. And 
John TV was this basically anyone that got arrested, they put their mugshot on this website. And there I was. And not only that, there was articles in the newspaper about my arrest and uh, it made it national news. Like not like ABC, but like national papers, like all over the country. And uh, I couldn't figure out like, I mean, why, like this didn't, this wasn't normal. Why'd this happen? So I remember reaching out to the guy that owns John TV, the guy that went and busted all of these Johns and videotaped them and would put them on their website. And he said, you got caught in the middle of a sting. They were going after uh, some military guys and you got caught in that sting. Just my luck. And uh, they were going after some high profile people. And uh, of course, now I can look at that situation. And now that I know more about trafficking, I have a lot of questions around that, but the that 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 arrest was completely embarrassing. But here's what here's what was really was taken away from that. I had to go to these community service um, community service that was part of my punishment, and in that punishment, I had to listen to former prostitutes talk city people like or people in neighborhood people watch like neighborhood people that had to deal with trafficking and had to listen to them tell their stories and the whole time and this has been almost over 20 years ago but the whole time i'm listening to this not 20 years that's a lie 15 years i'm listening to them going yeah but i went to a hotel I didn't go in front of your house. So I just dismissed all of it. My sex addiction, um, which was what I had claimed to at that time, I always, I, I used my addictions as misdirection to try to hide the real addiction that I was, didn't want people to know about. But I, it was, it fessed up to my wife and her parents, sex addiction and started going to essay meetings and all that stuff, which that turns into another story I won't go into. Um, but the, it, it didn't, I was just numb to it and the consequences and, and needless to say, my drug use spiked after that and, uh, quit coming home, uh, and then was forced to go to rehab and, but right after rehab, I went right back to doing meth and seeing my hooker friends because at that point they were the only people that I would have called friends because I think they knew who I was more than anybody, which is kind of wild to say. But after turning my life around six years ago, my um, after being in jail the, the sixth time, after after that making that life change um some different people started to come into my life annie lobert from hookers for jesus um cat dawn what and just i mean i don't want to start naming all of their names but they <laughs> i met a lot of former prostitutes one of my really good friends growing up was a very, very, high, I would say very, 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 very high class prostitute. 
meaning she was like $20,000 a night girl. And uh, so I got to hear all of these different stories. And it really, really took me back to my own childhood. And the one thing that was the same with all the stories were that they started from abuse, meaning they were sexually abused as kids. That was the one common thing. Everything else wasn't so common. Sometimes it was a parent that got them in. It trafficked them, sold them. And God, you're going to hear some stories about that. Um, sometimes it was a boyfriend. Ah, we need money. Just go sleep with, go, go sleep with that guy. And you know, and even hearing that, and it sounds, I'm sure that those of you listening right now, you hear this, like a boyfriend pimping out his girlfriend. Like, how's that happen? I can tell you exactly how it happens, at least from my perspective, because the, one of the girls that I was in a relationship with, um, we, we ran a lot of scams to try to bail ourselves out. Uh, we were in a bad financial spot because made some bad financial decisions, doing cocaine all the time, um, just spending money recklessly. But I remember like, cause I, at that time I was into pushing her to have sex with other people. It was part of what we did. It's part of, it was part of the, the thing with me. And I talked to her many times about making an ad and charging guys. Because to me, it was just sex and I didn't have any soul attached to it. So like, why not? If you're going to, if I want to watch you have sex with other people, you might as well get paid for it too. That was my justification. Now, obviously I'm sure that other men have different stories, but that's mine. I, I see how it happens. Now I can say that now and want to throw up in my mouth because I can't imagine, you know, asking my wife to do that. And, but I get it. I will say this. Even now, I am more comfortable around former sex workers. I mean, truthfully, probably real sex workers, the misfits and the outcast. And those have been cast aside because I know where it comes from. I know that evil, I know that brokenness, I know that sadness, I know that emptiness, I know it. I prostituted myself. How it happened for me initially? Well, I tried a few different ways. I tried when I was in Hawaii. Um, I remember calling an escort service in the phone book and saying I was wanting a job. That's how bad I wanted sex. Like I was willing to get paid for it up, up until going to a, a very large fat man's house. And uh, yeah, <laughs> needless to say, I didn't last very long doing that job. Um, but I had this image in my head of what it would be like getting, you know, what the TV portrays it to be like pretty woman, but for a dude didn't, it wasn't, didn't exactly work out that way. It's like, 
I mean, I it just I, I couldn't do it. But I was also sober trying to do it. So after I left Hawaii, um, of course, I, I fell into doing porn in Hawaii. Uh, that's how that started. But when I moved to South Florida, uh, more porn opportunities started. And I did a little bit more porn um, because it was like I was I was it was like a way for me to get my rocks off. I wasn't thinking of the consequences. I wasn't thinking um, of anything other than I want to get paid. And this is like a fantasy. So I'm going to do it. And of course, I was getting drugs then, too. But I went to a sex, uh, like one of those sex video booths in South Florida. It was Lake Worth, Florida. And I remember going into this booth, watching porn, minding my own business. Well, it wasn't minding my own business. You know what I mean. Um, and then a gentleman comes in, drops to his knees, and just pre pre performs oral sex on me. And as soon as he was done, as soon as I was done, next thing I know, puts $100 in my pocket with a note. Or no, the note didn't come till later. So after that, then I walk out. He goes, meet me outside when you're done. So I walk outside and he says, he gives me his number and he goes, I'm going to the Olympics. And this is when they were in uh, Greece. I'm going to the Olympics. It's like 2000, I think. Yeah, 2000. Going to the Olympics and, um, but when I get back, I want you to call me. I want you to come see me. So all through college, I saw this guy. Bought me cars, bought me clothes, bought me everything, and paid me every time I saw him. Sometimes several times a week. Ultimately, it's what paid for my drug habit that had already started in college. Ecstasy, cocaine. Very little meth at that time. And my brain associated, okay, so I can get drugs if I have sex because I'm going to get money. Anyway, but even after that, it left and I went back to Oklahoma for a little bit. Then I moved to L.A. and I moved, I, mean, I moved a lot, actually. And even though I didn't wasn't selling my body for um, for money anymore. With the sex apps that came out, I started basically pouring myself out for drugs. I mean, mind you, it was an official prostitution, but when I knew that I could go on this app and hook up with whoever and I would get free drugs. That's what I did. And it was mainly meth because uh, for some reason people share meth and they are, people are more willing to share meth than they are cocaine. But needless to say, the high was more intense. Therefore the addiction got stronger. Anyway, I'm sharing all of that to give you a context of where I'm coming from with these broadcasts. The last five years, six years since I turned my life around, um, it's been a struggle because you don't just turn off those old sexual habits, those thoughts, those fantasies, all of this stuff. It is, it's, it's tough to rehabilitate. And when you have disassociative identity disorder, 
you really have a hard time healing because you switch to different people. So it's almost like you have to heal each altar to allow it to be able to come back into one person again. And I'm almost there, but I'm not all the way there. I know how hard it is. I know how dark and desperate that this that world is, how desperate this world is that we all see. But there's a world that you don't see that's even scarier. But as my heart grew closer, and this is not a, a, a religious show, but I am a follower of Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that I have not, I've gotten to know my true identity. I've learned to love myself and I've healed because of that. And or I'm healing. Every day I'm healing. Every day. Every day I'm healing. Every day I'm getting better. Every day I'm getting stronger. But when I hear and see all of these trafficking organizations out there, and there's there's all kinds of different stories about them and whether they're raising awareness, whether they're a regular foundation, but then they want to make themselves look good. They say they now help with human trafficking. Like that's always disgusted me. Um, when I was asked to be on the board of the Lit You Are My Light Foundation, uh, which you can see, uh, which is who is really presenting this show. Um, when I was asked to be on the board, obviously I wanted to know what the foundation was about. But the one thing that I know for sure is that it's it's one thing to go save the victims. And mind you, that is a, a selfless act that rescuers make. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I have a little idea, but... I can't imagine what they all go through because they see things. They have to, the way that they go and they find these girls is they have to put themselves into that dark place. Like to detach from who they are to shift and to be something they're not in order to catch the bad guys. They have to become evil in a way to go fight evil. But what happens to those girls after they've escaped or they get out? They need a place to go, to one, to detox, to, to also to rehabilitate, but also to find and get the skills they need to go live a life that's worth living. And without those resources, without a place to go, without that care, there is, there is, they, they'll go back or they get captured again. Everyone's heard of Stockholm Syndrome. When you fall in love with your captor, what is, well, I wrote this down about the, the devil, what is it? The devil you don't, what is that expression? Ah, the, uh, oh man, the, there, I had a really good quote and I'll find it. This is terrible. But basically, like sometimes abuse is all they know. And it's better to go back to abuse than it is to what you don't know. In other words, the part that requires faith, 
it takes faith to do the work to heal because you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel when you start. In fact, you're wandering around the dark. When I made the decision to turn my life around, it was in the dark, but I just knew there was no other way because I tried every other way. But I can't tell you how many times I went back to my own vomit, so to speak. And a lot of these women and a lot of these guys that are in this industry will go back to their vomit because it's all they know. They'll go back to their abuser. They'll go back into hell because it's safer than the unknown. But I also believe with these centers that the You Are My Light Foundation is building that is going to help rehabilitate these victims. Like it, 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 it's, it's so needed because it also will give an example for the people there, the other victims that come in. It will give them an opportunity to see other people that have broken free, that have broken out of it. And even with that, it's still not easy. It's just not. It's sad, but it's the truth because you have to want to do the work. So we're going to cover a lot of different things. Um, we're going to have, this is going to be, like I said, a very investigative journalism style show. Um, you know, Orly, the, the founder of the, you, you are my light foundation. She'll be appearing here. Uh, we'll have different guests come on. Sometimes it'll just be, you know, sharing different pieces of information. But I will tell you that uh, coming up, actually, I should put this on here now. Um, you are. There is an event coming up. Let me put this in the uh, chat here or the, in the banner. But I want you guys to check out the You Are My Light Foundation. Um, youaremylightfoundation.org. We have an event coming up September 30th in Dallas where we're looking to raise a million dollars to build our first center. And uh, would love for you to buy a ticket. You can do that. Um, if you can just go to this website, I'm going to put on the bottom of the screen. But if you uh, are interested in going and being a part of it, you can just send me a message or go directly to the website to find more information. If you want to buy tickets to the gala, it's going to be a great event, live music, amazing speakers, great food um, at the Anatole Hotel in Dallas, Texas. And uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great event, but we're going to be highlighting other organizations there um, because one of the things that You Are My Light Foundation does is position other people to succeed um, that, that have been trafficked. So in other in other organizations are also highlighted because the you are you are my light foundation is going to help them get the support that they need so it's by supporting you are my light or yaml as we call it by supporting them you're supporting other organizations in fact my organization the live mono worldwide foundation um we're on our network <laughs> so one of the ways that we're helping elevate uh, the You Are My Light Foundation is through this broadcast that's going out to TV, radio, podcast, social media, and of course, it's transcribed and 
turned into a blog. Um, so this organization is important and I got involved because I want to be a part of the change. And mind you, my story doesn't necessarily look like all the rest of them, but I understand, especially coming from sexual trauma. I know how it changes your mind. I know how it changes your soul. And I know the work it takes to get back. And you can be successful. You can turn your life around. You can live the life of your dreams. And I'm living proof of it. Um, so I want in on this fight. And that's why I'm here. So I watched this documentary and I'm again so embarrassed that I forgot the name of it. Um, that is bad, but it's uh, it's it goes across the world. And one of the first places they stop is Moldova, M O L D O V A, and it's the sex trafficking engine of Europe. Ten percent of the, their population, ten percent, is trafficked. Like, like that's that's millions of people it's well i guess it's i, I don't know the population but <laughs> there are millions of people being trafficked um this is how corrupt it is so evidently there was a really bad war that took place um i'm sure most of you know about it but one of the things that it it it, it plant displaced quite a few people so there was a lot of now orphan children because their parents died or they were too poor to take care of them. So they were on the streets and homeless. So they get put in orphanages. And one of the culprits of this problem that we have, and this is in the United States, it's all over the world, but in this area specifically, that 10% of the population is trafficked. Orphanage, orphanage directors. And you have to understand that this is not like they're doing this in secret or doing it in a way that no other people know. No, because it, it, the, human trafficking doesn't exist. It, it's, it doesn't happen unless if people are in on the take, meaning everyone's getting paid off. Cops, orphanage directors, border crossing agents, and so on. Employment agencies running billboards. So this is This is interesting. So they'll write, like imagine being in Eastern Europe, war-torn country, and you see a billboard, and you're used to not having running water, you're used to not having um, something clean to drink, it, it's you're 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 starving, and you see this billboard. Move to New York City and model. Move to New York City and work at this fancy restaurant. Would you believe that those? employment agencies or those billboards are actually a trap it's like the click funnel for traffickers meaning like that's the 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 landing page that's the that's the uh <laughs> the bait and and, and and these women that want a better life see this and go i want to do that so they go and so they either save the money to pay uh, for their way there, or they have to make a deal where they're in the debt, but then they'll work it off. Well, what they're really doing is falling into being trafficked. It's the human trafficking 
is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. There's a lot of crime out there, but human trafficking is number one still. Like it's, it's become number one and growing. It's not getting better, it's growing. I don't know if this is a proceed as a standard thing or not, but a th there's a three-year contract. These girls that come over uh, from these billboards or these agencies, there's a three-year contract with their new pimp. After that, they can re-up, not by their own choice, by the pimp's choice, because they have no rights. And they're sold again, and sold again, and sold again, and sold again, until they're dead, escape somehow. I can't imagine what it's like to feel like what that would feel like to be sold. I mean, I know what it's like to hate myself so much to do it to myself, but I, someone else doing it, I, I don't know what that would have done to me psychologically. Politicians, cops, border patrol, all on the take, as I said before. So where, where can a girl run? So imagine being captured. Imagine being captured. Where can you run? Because you know the police, border patrol, employment agency, they were, you, you saw them involved in it. You, they may have been your client. Where do you go? Where do you run to? especially when you're transplanted to a new land that you don't know in a language you don't speak. Since 1989, 400,000 women have been trafficked to Moldova. I hope I'm saying that right. So one of the things that was interesting uh, to me, let's talk about Amsterdam. Most people know that there's legalized prostitution. In fact, there's legalized drugs and all kinds of things there. But the whole argument for legalized prostitution was that they could keep them safe, keep people safe. They could keep crime out of it. 60% of the women that work in the windows in Amsterdam are abused. In most of the women, I, I, there's not an exact number, it's just most, they have pimps and they make no money for themselves. So, when I pimp myself out, I was getting something in return. I was getting drugs or I was getting money or both. These girls sold against their will every dime they make goes to their pimp. They get nothing. They get food. But they better earn the money that their pimp says or they are beaten savagely. Like, I, I, I in hearing this, and, and watching this documentary, 
I can't tell you how many times that I thought, oh, I'd go to Amsterdam and I have, I have all kinds of fun. You know, because it's illegal. But to be honest with you, now I want to throw up. Because, I mean, wouldn't you just assume that they were, it's legal? So, you know, girls that want to just have sex for, I mean, look, I know a lot of people that have sex with no emotion attached to it. Why not get paid for it? Seems logical, right? No. No, this, this, it's, it's taking advantage of a fractured human being that has no choice. And the thing is, is they're beaten to death if they don't act like they're enjoying it. So, cause I've heard, I've heard people make comments about, oh yeah, she, she loved it. <sighs> well, you're paying for that girlfriend experience, I guess. But the fact is that it's acting, it's not real. And they're deeply wounded people. They've recently started, um, the, the windows, I don't know if it was just COVID or what, but the organized crime is so bad in Amsterdam because it's like getting, it's a double whammy, right? Not only is it legal, but I mean, they're, they're, they're protected from that. So it's like, they can just be out in the open and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's, it's that it's organized crime is all over it. So, these girls are not getting any of that money. And then there's Thailand. And, and a lot of the women that come from Amsterdam, um, the majority are Eastern European that are in Amsterdam working for free. Most of them are from Eastern Europe. So now we have Thailand. My first note here says social conditions and families drive young girls into selling their bodies. So now it's because of poverty and wanting to eat. A little bit different scenario than being kidnapped. Um, But because of your, because of, because of desperation, they need, like, they're, they're going to sell their bodies. And it's, and it's now part of the conditioning. Like it's, this is like a normal, acceptable thing that these girls, they're, they're going to do this or doing it from, they're, they're doing it on their own or, or the parents are selling them because they have a need. Listen to this. There's 2.8 million girls in prostitution in Thailand. In Thailand alone, 2.8 million girls in prostitution. 800,000 are children. 
that's I didn't hear one thing about kids being kidnapped. It was kids go into it on their own or their parents sell them into it. This one, um, Cambodia. Cambodia is where people go for child prostitutes. And I can't even tell you, like, this is the impression I got. From watching what I saw about Thailand, it was like, ah, I don't want to do this, but, you know, I have to. In Cambodia, it's the culture. Meaning, first of all, it's dirt poor there. Dirt, the so poor. 90% of families sell their kids. 90%. Like this is moms know that if they have a little girl, that they always have a safety net because all they have to do is sell her. And that's it. They don't have to do anything else. 90% of the families, 90% sell their kids. And I'm not talking 12-year-old, 13-year-old. I'm talking two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10-year-old. And, you know, the whole argument of this enrages me, but do you know the whole argument about why they do it is we need the money, right? But now it's so acceptable that, and the money's coming in, guess who the kids' pimps are? Mom and dad. Dad sits home, hang, hangs out in the neighborhood, or the it didn't really look much like a neighborhood, um, but they're hanging out, getting drunk, playing dominoes while their kids are being raped. This is such an issue that the kids have already in their mind as, as children, young children, will start to sexify themselves, make themselves look sexy, if that's even possible with a kid. They make themselves, they get themselves all where they, they want to make the parents proud of, of being a pretty whore. I, 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 but they're indoctrinated into this. So now they're willing to do this. In Cambodia alone, yet yeah, women groom themselves to honor their parents. How's that sit with you? 19,250 children trapped in prostitution in Cambodia. Nineteen thousand two hundred and fifty children trapped prostitution. And the thing is, what do you do? 
what do you do with that problem when it's the parents? That is, I don't know. I mean, let's just say it's 10,000 parents of these 19,000 kids. I don't know. I don't know what, how to do the math here, but what do you do? If 90, 90% of the population is doing this, what do you do? Vegas. First of all, prostitution is not legal in Vegas, but you can go right outside of Vegas and it is, but that doesn't stop prostitution from happening. Prostitution is uh, there, people do it for money, fame, glamour. I'm gonna find a high roller. I'm gonna sell myself for a couple grand that night and meet a high roller, get married and be taken care of for the rest of my life. Yeah, there is that element out there too. And what happens? Eventually they get beaten and abused, but because the money's good, they go back to it. Like how many of us in our own relationships, like how many women out there? I mean, abuse happens to men too. How many times have you gone back to your abuser? For what, because you loved him? From my experience, uh, Money is just as bad of a drug as cocaine and meth. It can be. And uh, you get used to that money, it's hard to stop. I know that firsthand from the people I know in the industry, or were in the industry, and some that still are. What can I do to make $300,000 a year in cash? What else could I do? It's a hard thing to answer. Like when that's your the mindset of how am I going to replace a hundred thousand a year, even if it was sixty thousand a year in cash? Like when you're looking at it from that lens, why why would you stop? So that's why they put up with the beatings. Then they do drugs to numb the pain, they do drugs to numb out, and back they go. And the thing is, is that whether it's a pimp doing it or doing it to themselves, as I said at the very beginning of this broadcast, you kind of condition yourself. When you, when, you know, you, you're, the personality splits and you start to develop, you develop the multiple personalities or the different alters, you know, you can program yourself. And then you never get out of it. Sweden. Check this out. So Sweden, Sweden's known for a lot of things. Um, but this I didn't know. Sweden has not had a death from a prostitution. So typically a lot of prostitutes get murdered. They haven't had a death in over 20 years related to prostitution. They have brutal consequences for prostitutes and the Johns. So there's a deterrent built in. So like my fine, I got fined 120 bucks. I paid 250 for the sex. Getting out of jail was actually cheaper. Like my, the fine I paid was cheaper than what I actually paid for the sex. Like in other words, it was no big deal. Other than the public embarrassment, 
other than that, it wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm not dismissing what I did. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that <laughs> that's not a deterrent. In Sweden, brutal consequences. They have the lowest rate of trafficking in all of Europe because people are scared to do it there. Again, I go back to this. Human trafficking doesn't exist without governments, politicians, border control, police, firemen, teachers, without somebody turning a blind eye. Somebody's getting paid off for their silence or they're in it on the with them they're in it also Sweden's doing it right and Sweden may be the blueprint for everywhere except I don't know what to do about Cambodia so trafficking isn't just girls in cages at all it, it's it's much more dimensional multi-dimensional than that a lot of girls who escape trafficking go back just to have a sense of normality. 96 out of 100 women go back. The abuse we know is sometimes better than what we don't know. And the last statistic is every 30 seconds, a child is trafficked. Like it is, a yeah, every 30 seconds. That's around the world. So since I've said that, in 15 seconds, another child's going to be trafficked. That's kind of hard to swallow. You know what I mean? So at the You Are My Light Foundation, we're wanting to do something about it for those that do. And I and, I, and again, one of the, the things that's so important for anyone that's been abused Okay, but let's focus on trafficking victims. They're broken down, beaten down, and controlled, and someone has power over them because they've submitted their power or it was taken from them. If these girls do not know they have a safe place to go, they're never going to leave. Or they'll try, but they're going to go back. Again, how many people go back to abusive, go back to their abuser? This is no different, even when some of them aren't even getting their money. They don't know how to leave. I know girls that went back into prostitution because they were never going to make anything close to the money they make now. What am I, work at McDonald's, wait tables, be on my feet for 15 hours to make a hundred bucks? or be on my back for 15 minutes and make a hundred. Yeah, I don't get abused that much, like every fifth time, you know? You start justifying it. If people don't have a safe place to go, in a place 
that not only can they can go to detox to get well, but more importantly, it's a place they can go and then they can see other people that have, have escaped and rehabilitated and are living the life of their dreams. Annie Lobert is, to me, the biggest hero of anyone. I mean, I, I know there's other stories, but I know her personally. And, you know, her story is inspiring to me because of what she's doing with her life now. She's a role model for anyone. Um, I'm hoping we, she will speak, speak at the event and we're talking to her. But she's somebody that gives hope. You know, there's former traffickers that are now in the fight helping. There's former Johns that are helping. You know, there'd be a lot less Johns, I think, if people knew the route of where some of, or knew where some of these girls were coming from and how they got there and that they weren't really that happy uh, to be there. I know I was under the illusion that these girls like me. And I, I mean, I still think that I don't believe the girls I was with had pimps. I have no idea, really, to be honest. But I thought they were my friends. Like, that's where it got to. But that was just an illusion, really. So we at the Europe My Light Foundation want to do something about it. And we want to we want to be part of the change. We want to be part of the solution. But again, we cannot be the solution without your help. Um, we can't be we can't be that. But also, we as a whole, the community of people that are, are the, the 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 people that are fighting to help the victims and to help free the victims, we have to collaborate too. And You Are My Light Foundation wants to be that bridge to help everyone interconnect and to help create a space for sharing resources in a way that we can elevate each other, in a way that we can collaborate um, so that we can complete this mission. Because when we have so many powerful people involved in allowing trafficking to happen, we have a huge fight on our hands. So that said, that's our first, first episode. Um, if you are interested in learning more about the You Are My Light Foundation, go to youaremylightfoundation.org. Um, and then of course, down below, you'll be able to donate if you believe in this mission. Uh, you can read about our mission more on the website. You can learn about the gala coming up and uh, September 30th in Dallas. And, um, you know, if you have any questions or ever want to come on here and share your share your story, uh, just send a message. Thank you guys so much for being here uh, again on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Um, and this is my, my name is Joshua T. Berglund. Thank you for being here. God bless you. And um, see you next time.